Welcome back to our New Star Sports Agency podcast. In this four-part series, we look at mental skills and how it can assist performance. Hope you enjoy. Welcome back to our New Star Sports podcast. Great to have, uh, once again, have Aaron Walsh here, performance coach, um, working with multiple sports, um, but in a context that is relevant to us um, more recently is around the rugby and cricket space, and uh, most recently with the with the Chiefs and your ongoing work there, mate. Welcome. Great to have you back on, mate. Yeah, cheers, mate. Great to be here. And great to be with you having a yarn. Yeah, I look forward to it. Mate, I... I I'll crack straight into it. So, I mean, out of, you know, the work that you've done, particularly over the last two or three years, what are some common themes or, um, yeah, what are you picking up that the, the needs basis for, for young men in high-performance sport, particularly, obviously, in that rugby space? Yeah, I think, um, I think probably the biggest one is, you know, obviously there's just been a massive conversation around well-being. And, you know, I think it's very much you know, particularly the players that will be listening today, I think they understand the relevancy of that. So, you know, we're around the same age, mate, and we were brought up in a generation before social media where your problems were kept to yourself and you didn't process those. And I think in some sense, we talk about all the negatives of social media. I'd say one positive is it's made people more, um, it's normalised sharing how you're, you're experienced. That's probably the best way to describe it. So I think, you know, our, our younger athletes are now saying, listen, I, I'm quite in touch with what I'm experiencing and I want to vocalise that. And so the subject of well-being is not a grin and bear it subject anymore, which it probably yeah. was for a lot of years. It's a subject that people have a real big interest in. And, um, and I suppose in that discussion, I think probably one of the big things is around, I think probably around organisation. I know that sounds like a real basic thing. Um, but like just having a framework um, in your career. So like there's some really good questions. I think we've talked about a little bit in the past, but so what do you play footy? Um, what are you trying to accomplish? Which is about your goals, your aspirations, your why is about your passion and your drive. How do you think you're going to do there, get there? So that's about your focus and your planning and your development and your self-awareness. Uh, when are you going to do it? So this is probably the biggest one is how do I schedule my life to perform well while also making sure the other areas that are important to me are not neglected. And um, I reckon that's a really difficult dance mm. because, you know, I think we talked about it earlier that um, being in the position of being a professional athlete is a real rare requirement on someone's life. So I think we, you know, I, I, get up each day I want to be really good at my job we you know but most people who get up in the morning aren't thinking how can I be in the top one percent of people who do this in the world where you know most of the athletes listening to this are in that category and so then the demands to fulfill that or the demands to want to be that are really difficult and they're really demanding and they're not easy and so I think we just have to understand like the well-being discussion within the context of elite sport, which you know most of the people who are listening are in, boy, it's not an easy discussion to have. But I think people are wanting to have it, and I think it just needs probably a little bit more balance to the conversation. Yeah, um, 
how do you go about doing that, mate? How do you go about, um, and I know we touched on some stuff earlier, um, which is really uh, probably 101 stuff, but underrated and really important is, you know, when guys come into environments, how that's been assessed. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think part of the, what I've noticed probably over the last couple of years in particular around the wellbeing discussion is that I don't think we're always approaching it from the right angle. And, um, and here, here's what I mean, a traditional well-being discussion, um, say, with general population or even sometimes in elite sports is um, your well-being is the area of your life that's outside of your sport, right? So, and you've got to get that really, really sharp and really, really on point. So when you come into your sport, you've been able to fully focus upon your sport. Now, that sounds really valuable and I think critical information and plays a part in the well-being discussion. But I think from my experience with the athletes in the last numbers of years, say 10 or 15 years, I would say 80% of the well-being issues that I've had to help people through or provide, facilitate for or whatever that is, um, they're not about what's happening in life and then how do I bring, how do I get myself right for footy? They're mostly what's happening in the environment every day, which might be deselection or pressure of not getting an opportunity or you might have a relational tension with a coach or you might get dropped and no one's clear on why you got dropped and you might have had a bad performance. But all of these things that we know happen every day and the inability to be able to deal with that and not take it home. Mm. Is, is really critical because mm. like we talk about well-being is events that probably happen away from the field but they're really influenced by what happens in the environment and in the field so like when I talk about a guy that might be struggling with his well-being what I often hear is you know like I'm drinking a lot or I'm doing this or stuff why are you doing that oh because I just don't feel like I'm being treated fairly or you know I'm not getting a run here or um, I had a you know so it's almost like we can talk and I think we should continue to talk about those areas of life that influence us when we come into the environment. But I don't think we've talked enough about what happens in the environment and the, the impact of that on us when we go home. Yeah. So I reckon part of our wellbeing strategy, which is not just performance. So we talk about, talk about say culture, right? So how do we, how do we build a culture to have a competitive advantage from a performance aspect? I'm wondering where we should be answering how do we build a culture to have a well-being advantage as well? So what needs to be in that environment that actually promotes well-being rather than takes well-being away? Have you got some examples of um, if you can yeah. uh, look back on, on good environments where they've been able to maybe do that? Um, you know? I'll give you a couple of exa examples that come straight off the top of my head is that transparency around decisions that affect an athlete. Mm. So if I would say the my experience, the biggest conflict you normally see every year for athletes in any environment is when they're not selected. And then, because that affects them or the status of their contract or how the organization sees them in the future. Right. So those things, like if there isn't a transparency around the, from the decision makers around why we're going this way, it doesn't have to uh, resonate with the athlete. 
it doesn't have to be agreed with from the athlete. Like there's many times where you might disagree with a perspective, but I think all we normally ask is there just transparency around this process. How did you come to this decision? Say for a deselected player or someone doesn't get packed, eh? how do I get back in? And are you going to be true to that? So if you say these are the things that I need to improve on, when I improve on them, I know I'm not guaranteed selection, but I still want a transparency around the process. So I think that would be one massive thing. And then probably the second thing, like, which I really appreciated about the environment, particularly with um, some of the stuff with the Chiefs the last couple of years, is the freedom to ask challenging questions without a fear of retribution. I reckon that's a sign of a really healthy culture where you can ask. Yeah. And the consequences of asking aren't perceived as you're just being difficult and challenging, but you're attempting to understand and that there's enough trust within the environment where we can have, you know, I think Graham Henry used to call it going into the danger zone with each other. And it was about having a depth of trust. And I suppose love is a word that you could use for each other where you're prepared to have difficult conversations without the repercussions of those being so hard and so difficult. So there would be a couple of examples where the environment is supporting the well-being of the athlete rather than, you know, reducing the well-being of the athlete. Yeah, fantastic. Um, but you mentioned earlier on when we just had a, a chat um, before we started also the um, the flow on of that, so the, the mindset yeah, yeah. of the athlete. So yeah, yeah. Um, you touched on before around how they, you know, if you are going to be in that top 5% and a world-class mm. athlete, um, the mindset that's needed, the well-being that's attached to that. Can you talk a little bit more around yeah. the, the mindset and then maybe flow on to the, the pressure of, of the skills and how that can yeah, be positively yeah. impacted by that? Yeah, so I think what, what I've sort of constructed in my own sort of practice, if you want to use that term, is just a little bit of a hierarchy of needs. So I think, you know, the mental space, um, and we've talked about this before, but I think it's always good to reiterate this, is the mental skills, that they actually name themselves, it's a skill. And you think about your physical skills. So when you come in, and there's normally a hierarchy with physical skills. So for a game like rugby, it's your flexibility and your mobility is going to be really important, but you've got to have endurance and you've got to have power and you've got to have speed. So that would be the hierarchy, right? So yeah. physically, you'd have a hierarchy of needs. Like these are the most important things for you to develop, and they're probably positionally orientated. And how we define what skills we're going to work on or how we define how we get our skill development is just assessing. So you'd go through your testing, whether it's a yo-yo, which everybody loves, um, whether it might be one rep max, 40-meter sprint, you know, all of our standardized testing. And the only reason our trainers do that at the start of the year, they just go, where are we at? And then they plan a program around that assessment. Now, with the mental side, I think it's really important we do the same stuff. Mm. And so what I try to design, well, if we were to develop a hierarchy of needs in the mental space, what would that look like? And I thought about just my own life and the athletes I've worked with. And like at the foundation, so if you imagine there's three layers like a you know a pyramid, at the foundation would be your well-being. So we've talked a little bit about that. Yep. Secondarily would be your mindset. And then thirdly would be how you perform under pressure. So performing under pressure. Yeah. And the reason is, is that I think we all know this, like with your well-being, and I'm talking about, you know, do you have good relationships? I'm talking more about those things than about the traditional well-being metrics. So do you have good relationships? Uh, do you feel comfortable in the environment? All the stuff that's important for you to feel. Can you be authentic? Can you be yourself? But once you've got all that covered off, you know, 
Um, because it's really difficult to have a good mindset if you've got compromised well-being. Like mm. even if something like sleep, right, or poor relationships, or you know, I've got financial stress, whatever those things might be, be the moment those aren't resolved in my mind, it's really hard for me to have an appropriate mindset for the day. So if I'm not feeling great mentally, I won't go, okay, I just need to change my mindset. No, I actually have to go and address this issue. So I think we talked about an example before. If you're a rugby player and you find that you're struggling with your mindset and your motivation for the week and you go do this little self-analysis, you go, is my well-being okay? And you're discovering that, no, I've actually got a really – I had a, a discussion with a coach last week. I haven't settled. And I'm actually affecting the way I'm thinking. It's affecting my mindset when I come up. i got to go resolve that first. Okay, once I've got that, then I'll work on my mindset. So mindset to me is real simple. It's how I see myself. So how do I view myself? And there's lots of, man, that's a, that's a Pandora's box. So some people view themselves as worthy of having success and hardworking and that, um, you know, that everything that they're fulfilling mm. is, 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 an, is an expression of joy and they're celebrating that. And that's, and rugby's a place for them or cricket's a place for them or the sporting domain for them is a place for them to go and really express themselves and enjoy themselves and they're worthy of success. Other people feel like they're constantly imposters, that they don't belong, that the, the, the clock is just ticking where somebody will actually realize they're not that good at what they do. So can you, can you see how immediately how you view yourself would affect so much of how you view the environment you're in? So mindsets for me is two things. It's how you see yourself, then how do you relate to what's in front of you? So we'll give an example of coming into a, a key game um, you know, someone mindset towards that game could be, I love these big games. It's an opportunity for me to, to um, work with my mates and do something special and an opportunity to express all the hard work that I've done over the years. And, you know, what an amazing opportunity to do that. Mm. So, you know, at that point, all of those fear things just mm. get reduced, right? But if someone comes into a game saying, oh, Big games are scary places, <laughs> places where critical mistakes could be made. Um, they're places where my reputation could be tarnished. There's places where I could lose it for my mates. That's probably more likely for most athletes is like, I don't want to let anyone down. Yeah. Um, therefore, I'll be safe, boring, and predictable, and I won't take risk, and I'll be hesitant. So that would be you framed your physical approaches through a mental framework of how you view the event. Yeah. So this is where this mind-body connection really starts to, to matter. So am I feeding thoughts that will enable my body to do what I wanted to do in that moment? So what, what, what would a player do, mate, if they are in that, um, in the more negative space yeah. of fear and not wanting to make a mistake? What would be, and if they, they, I mean, obviously, if they had someone like yourself and there's a good relationship there, they can go and have a conversation and work through, you know, yep. just how they're feeling and, and et cetera, and you can give them some skills. But is there some person, you know, if they don't have that and say they're not quite at that level where there's a mental skills or performance coach attacked, what could they do? I think it's a very, there's one real simple question is what are you scared of? And all goes back, like you can put 95 different things in that answer, but it mm. will go back to one thing at the end of the day. We're scared of rejection. And ultimately, then rejection could equal isolation mm. for us. So, like, if I fail, what will my teammates and coaches think of me? 
what will be the consequences of that? And what happens if I don't have a place here? You know, like I've talked to a talk uh, think of one rugby player I talked to as a hooker. And he said, in, in 15 seconds, he can go from this position with the ball in his hand. And he t- I said, talk me to your thoughts. I've got to make this throw. If I don't make this throw, I might be viewed as a failure. If I'm viewed as a failure, I won't be selected. If I don't get selected, I won't have a contract. If I won't have a contract, I can't pay my mortgage. This is a 10-second inner dialogue right there. Yeah. So though, so though, though fear may have many um, partners, if you want to use that term, it has one outcome that we all are terrified of, which is what happens if I get rejected and isolated from the group. That means a lot to me. So therefore you want to preserve that. So how, so, how, how would you how would you turn it around then? How if someone comes yep. to you with that, what would be obviously it's not something you can answer overly quickly, but yep. what would be some of the the questions, some of the the process you'd work through to try and um, move that space from that negative fear? Yeah outcome approach to a, a positive, come on, go and embrace this and, and release yeah. and go and do the, you know, yeah. play I think the way Authenticity is the key, right? So if, when you talk to most people who feel that way, the first question I ask them, are you proud of that? No. Well, who do you want to be? Mm. Who do you want to be? So often we haven't got a picture of who we want to be. We've only got a picture of who we don't want to be. So we've got to create a picture of who we want to be. And then the question is success there's no longer outcome, but it's my commitment to be authentic to that person. That's how I'm going to measure success. So it's almost reframing, like the goal is not to avoid fear. Fear is always going to be present because rejection is possible, right? So how we counteract that is through not looking at it, things or what go, could go wrong, but viewing things of, if I was true to myself, do I know what that looks like? And how then can I be authentic to that every week? So I don't think anyone wants to play fearful. I don't think anybody wants to be hesitant. I don't think anybody wants to be risk adverse and safe because I don't think anyone looks in the mirror, the man in the mirror at the end of the day, go, I was really proud of that. Yeah. Or what were you proud? I was proud when I was free and I was true to myself and I expressed myself. Okay, well, yeah. can you can you display to me through behaviors what that would look like? And how do we make sure you're being authentic to that? Yeah, it's... Um... <laughs> It's complex, isn't it? Um, and and uh, you know, uh, appreciating the um, the paradigm you're talking around because it's such a moving. You know, as we're saying, there's some um, the home life can affect it. It can be you know in the actual um, high performance environment. So there's all these myriad of possibilities. But I suppose where you're heading is um, the high performance athletes, and if they are in that zero point five percent, or you know, really at the top of their yeah. game, and they're moving forward have ability to be able to control that and an ability to be able to really yeah. process and understand and, and potentially even realize when they're going down the negative space and need, right, I need some intervention pretty quickly to help me get back on track. Yeah. So a good, a good way to look at it is from a practical point of view, there's a phrase that I found to be quite helpful. And it's, and the phrase is whatever dog barks the loudest you feed. And it's really about dialogue and, and it's really about what dog you're feeding. And so I'm on three or four negative barks, if you want to use that term away from a week or so in a hole where I don't feel really good about myself. But I'm not feeding that dog. Yeah. I can't feed that dog. Because yeah. I know what happens if I feed that dog, right? Yeah. And then 
something like this. Your brain, what your brain does is your brain, your brain doesn't like, understand the origins of what you're putting into it. So here's what I mean by this. If you're, if you're 80% of the time when you think about rugby, you think about what could go wrong, your subconscious will go, that's what's most important right now. Mm. So I'd better deliver on the behaviors that cause that to happen. Does that make sense? Mm. So if you're feeding that negative dog all the time and your brain is going, this is what he's, he or she is focusing on. This must be what we are meant to deliver. And so, as you know, you both of you and I play golf. That's why when we talk about like out of bounds or water or things like that, there's so much experiments being done is that, you know, if you focus on that, it's going there. It's not because you're a bad golfer, but because your subconscious is simply delivering on the thing that's taking up um, the most real estate within your mind. Yeah. So I know for me, I've got to fill that real estate with things that are going to help me and move me towards being where I want to be. So I've got to feed the right dog because if that negative dog gets fed, it keeps barking, just keeps barking, saying, give me more, give me more, give me more what? More negativity, more things that could go wrong, more fear. <laughs> okay, well, how do I shift that? I, I got to stop feeding that dog and start feeding the right one. Yeah, great, fantastic. Is there anything else, mate? To, I mean, I think you've, um, yeah, really given some great insight there around how the critical space around understanding, particularly well-being and the impact that that has on mindset and obviously executing yeah. um, precious skills. But the, the critical piece of going back to you can't sort out the pressure school um, if the well-being um, space yeah. hasn't been taken care of and, you know, and be mindful of that. Yeah, I mean, it's a good way to put it. Like your well-being will inform your mindset and then your mindset will inform how you relate under pressure. And I would probably say mostly from experience, like if you do do that well-being stuff, well, work on that, and you do work on the mindset stuff intentionally, I would say your pressure demands will reduce. Yeah. So because you got yourself in the right space, right? So you got your life in order and you got your mind, you're feeding your mind the right things that, you know, enhance performance. So when you get into the performance space, you've already done a lot of the work. And so sort of my recommendation, what we talked about is it's a bit like anyone coming in for preseason is that I'm sure a trainer could go, here's 40 things you need to work on. But what what's the one thing that's going to get the biggest benefit for you? And that's how I think the mind stuff works too. So, so people listening might go, yeah, I've got the well-being stuff pretty nailed. I need to feed the right doctor. I've got to get this mindset stuff a little bit better. Yeah. And then once I got that, then, okay, well, I might go into the pressure skills, which would be how do I be true to my identity and how do I be authentic to who I am in moments when pressure is building? Now that's another skill set, right? Yeah. So, but it's, it's, as you said, because you said it before, it can be quite complex. There's quite a lot of moving parts. There's quite a bit going on. Yeah. But what's the one thing? Yeah. You know, so I love James Clear, Atomic Habits. Everyone should read it. And he would, his my takeaway was really simple was what's one thing that if you could start that would really enhance your life? And what's one thing that you should stop that would enhance your life? Yeah. <laughs> it's real simple, right? And yeah. you got to do it every day. So, like I would say to people, don't try and, you know, and, and I think this is the same with physical, same with mental and the term that I've sort of used more and more in the last year. Don't try and eat the elephant. Just don't try and eat the elephant. Like what's the one part of the elephant that's going to make the biggest difference to you? Let's go after that. And once we've got that, let's look at something else. 
because it can be overwhelming if you're a professional athlete. Just think about that. You're thinking about your technical skills, you're thinking about your physical, you're thinking about your mental skills. Does your, 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 your performance plan could have 47 things on them, yeah. you know, if it's not managed well, rather than we've prioritized this, we've identified this, we've had assessments that enable us to see this is a big area of improvement. Let's point our energy towards that. But, but, it, but that's so true, Walsy, though, that everything, um, you know, when you have a look at the whole range of um, complexities you just talk about, whether it be a skill execution or, or something else, and, and your mind's quite complex, you come back to the one thing helped you get yeah. to move yeah. from um, a position of uncertainty or not hitting the ball yeah. properly or not passing accurate whatever it is. Yeah. So there was one catalyst or one enabler that was enabled to um, yeah. Yeah, change performance. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, go back to, like, Graham Henry again. I remember, you know, talking to him about when a new All Black came and what was your first message? So I only had one message from the whole week. Remember why we selected you. Yeah. I don't care about what you can't do right now. Remember why we selected you. We selected you because we saw stuff that is really outstanding. And I wish I could say to rugby players all the time, remember why you're here. Because the work on culture that can proliferate sports can be dangerous for an athlete because if all you do each week is react to areas that you need to be working on, then you can neglect the areas that got you there and then you create fear and self-fulfilling prophecies around the areas that you've perceived to be weak. So, you know, it's a real mind game in how you manage your growth and development. Um, it doesn't mean that we ignore things that we can get better on. But I think, I think Graham Henry, too, I think Ted said like 80% of the time he wants people working on what they're already good at and 20% of the time on things that they need to improve. And I like that as a, as a concept. Yeah. Mate, let's leave it on that because that uh, yep. I think you've summed up things um, extremely well as always. And um, once again, as always, mate, very thankful for your time and yep. um, your insights and the gold gems that you give us, mate. Um, thanks again. Always awesome to be with you, bud. Cheers.